Chapter Three of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: A Few Items Regarding Bashan's Character and Manner of Life, Part Two. But I am moved to add further details to this transcript of Bashan's character, so that the willing reader may see it in the nth degree of vivid verisimilitude i might perhaps proceed with more or less skill by drawing a comparison between bashan and the lamented percy for a contrariety more sharply defined than that which distinguished their respective natures is scarcely conceivable within one and the same species as a basic consideration one must remember that bashan enjoys perfect mental health whilst percy as i have already intimated was as is not uncommon with dogs of blue-blooded pedigrees a perfect fool his whole life long crazy a very model of overbred impossibility mention of this has been made in a more momentous connection in a previous chapter i would merely mention here as a contrast bashan's simple and popular ways as these manifest themselves when going for walks or when making salutations occasions upon which the enunciation of his emotions remains within the bounds of common sense and a sound heartiness without ever touching the limits of hysteria limits which percy often transgressed on these occasions and that in the most disconcerting fashion but the whole antithesis between the two creatures is by no means exhausted in this for this antithesis is in truth a mixed and complicated one bashan you must know is somewhat crude like the common people themselves but like them also soft and sentimental whilst his noble predecessor combined more delicacy and possibilities of pain with an incomparably prouder and firmer spirit and despite his silliness far excelled that old yokel bashan in the matter of self-discipline it is not in defence of an aristocratic cult of values that i call attention to this mixture of opposite qualities of coarseness and tenderness of delicacy and resolution but purely in the interests of life and actuality bashan for example is just the man for spending even the coldest winter nights in the open that is on the straw behind the coarse burlap curtain of his kennel a slight affection of the bladder prevents him from spending seven hours uninterruptedly in a locked room without committing a nuisance a weakness of his which causes us to lock him out during the inhospitable time of the year setting a justifiable faith in his robust health only once after a particularly icy and foggy night did he make his appearance with moustaches and goatee miraculously frosted and iced and with that jerky one-syllabic cough peculiar to dogs but a few hours and lo he had conquered the cold and was none the worse for it but never would we have dared to expose the silken-haired percy to the inclemency of such a night on the other hand bashan stands in great fear of even the slightest pain and every twinge wrings from him a response the whining complaint of which would arouse aversion if its naive folkish quality did not disarm one and set the springs of gaiety aflow 
again and again during his prowlings in the underwood i have heard him squeal aloud a thorn had chanced to prick him or a resilient branch had switched him across the face and if he happened to have scratched his belly a little in vaulting over the fence or sprained his foot i have been treated to an antique hero's chorus a three-legged limping approach an uncontrollable wailing and self-lamentation and the more sympathetically i talked to him the more insistent his clamour became though in a quarter of an hour he would be swooping and running about as madly as before percy was of a different metal percy would grit his teeth and keep mum he feared the rawhide whip just as bashan fears it and unfortunately he got a taste of it oftener than bashan for first of all i was younger and more hot-tempered during his epoch than i am at present and secondly his heedlessness often assumed a wanton and sinister aspect which simply clamoured for chastisement and urged me to it when driven to extremities i would take down the whip from the nail then it is true he would crawl under the table or bench and make himself small but never a howl passed his lips when the blow and perhaps yet another came humming down upon his back at most he gave a low moan in case the whip bit too hard but bully bashan begins to shriek and whimper when i merely raise my arm in short he is without pride or dignity without self-restraint or self-discipline but his activities seldom call for armed punitive intervention the less so since i have long ago ceased to demand achievements from him which are contrary to his nature and insistence upon which might lead to a collision tricks for instance i never expect from him it would be futile he is no savant no market-place miracle-monger no poodle-like valet no professor but a hunter-lad full of go and vitality i have already emphasized the fact that he is a splendid vaulter if it be necessary he will balk at no obstacle if it be too high he will simply take a running jump and climb over it letting himself drop down on the other side but take it he will but the obstacle must be a real obstacle, that is, not one under which one may run or crawl, for then Bashan would consider it sheer insanity to jump over it. Such obstacles present themselves in the shape of a wall, a ditch, a barred gate, a fence without a hole. A horizontal bar, a stick held out, is no obstacle, and so, of course, one cannot well jump over it without bringing oneself into a silly contrariness to things as well as to one's reason. Bashan refuses to do this. He refuses. Should you attempt to persuade him to jump over some sham obstacle, you would finally, in your wrath, be forced to take him by the scruff of the neck and to hurl him over it barking and yapping he will hereupon assume a mien as though he had magnanimously permitted you to attain your wishes and will celebrate the result by caperings and rapturous barks you may flatter him beat him but here you will encounter a resistance of sheer reason against the trick pure and simple which you will never be able to overcome he is not unobliging gratifying his master means a great deal to him 
he will vault over a hedge at my wish or command and not only from his own impulses and gladly will he reap his meed of praise and thanks for this but even though you should beat him half to death he will not jump over a pole or a stick but run under it he will beg a hundred times for forgiveness for consideration for mercy for he fears pain fears it to the point of utter pusillanimity but no fear and no pain can force him to do something which from a physical point of view would be mere child's play for him but for which all mental capacities are obviously lacking in him to demand this act of him is not to confront him with the question as to whether he should or should not jump this question is already settled for him in advance and the command simply means a clubbing to demand the incomprehensible and therefore the impossible from him is in his eyes merely a pretext for a quarrel for a disturbance of friendship and a chance to inflict a whipping and is in itself the very inauguration of these things this is bastian's conception of things as far as i can see and i doubt whether one can speak of mere ordinary stubbornness in this connection obduracy may finally be broken yes it even demands to be broken but basham would seal his refusal to perform a trick or feat with his very life a wondrous soul so friendly and intimate and yet so alien in certain traits so alien that our language is incapable of doing justice to this canine logic what relation has this for example with that terrible circumstantiality always so unnerving for the spectator with which the meeting the acquaintance or the mere recognition of dog and dog fulfil themselves my picaroon forays with bashan have made me the witness of hundreds of such meetings or rather i should say forced me to be an unwilling embarrassed witness and every time as long as the scene lasted his usually transparent behaviour became inscrutable to me i found it impossible to effect a sympathetic penetration into the feelings laws and tribal customs which formed the basis of his behaviour in reality the meetings in the open of two dogs strange to each other belongs to the most poignant arresting and pathetic of conceivable happenings it takes place in an atmosphere of demonry and strangeness an inhibition operates here for which there is no exacter term the two cannot pass each other a terrible embarrassment prevails i need scarcely speak of cases in which the one party is locked inside some allotment behind a fence or a hedge even then it is not easy to see what humour the two may be in but the affair is comparatively less ticklish they scent each other from vast distances bashan suddenly appears at my side as though seeking protection and gives way to whimperings which proclaim an indefinite grief and perturbation of soul whilst at the same time the stranger the prisoner starts up a furious barking to which he seems anxious to give the character of vigilance energetically announcing itself but which now and again impulsively reverts to tones which resemble those of bashan's yearning a tearfully jealous a distressful whining 
we approach the spot drawing nearer and nearer the strange dog has been awaiting us behind the fence there he stands scolding and lamenting his impotence and makes wild leaps against the fence and pretends no one can tell just how much he pretends that he would infallibly tear bashan to pieces if he could but reach him in spite of this bashan who might easily remain at my side and walk past goes towards the fence he must go he would go even contrary to my orders not to go would violate some eminent law far more deeply rooted more inviolable than my own prohibition so he walks up to the spot and with a humble and inscrutable mien fulfills that act of sacrifice which as he well knows always brings about a certain pacification and temporary reconciliation with the other dog so long as he too performs the same act even though it be in another spot and accompanied by low growlings and whines then both begin to chase wildly alongside the fence the one on this the other on the opposite side dumb and always keeping parallel to each other both simultaneously face about at the end of the fence and race back towards the other end turn about and race back once more suddenly however in the very middle they remain as if rooted to the ground no longer longitudinal to the fence but at right angles with it and touch noses through the rails they stand thus for a considerable time and then once more resume their strange and ineffectual race shoulder to shoulder on either side of the fence finally however my dog makes use of his liberty and races off this is always a terrible moment for the imprisoned one this sudden lighting out is to him something unendurable it is villainy unutterable and unparalleled to think that the other dog his racial colleague should really think of abandoning him so he raves howls acts like one possessed races up and down his territory all by himself threatens to jump over the fence and strangle the traitor and keeps on hurling the vilest curses after him bashan cannot help hearing all this pother and he is most disagreeably affected by it as his guilty and diffident air proclaims still he refuses to look back and jogs easily along during this the terrible maledictions to our rear gradually decline in intensity and slowly die away into low whinings and thin yowls such is the customary course of events when one of the parties concerned happens to be under duress but the strange contrariety of things reaches its apex when the rencontre takes place under equal conditions and both happen to be free of foot it is extremely unpleasant to be obliged to describe this really it is the most oppressive embarrassing and ticklish situation conceivable however bashan who has just been blithely gambling about comes to me simply forcing himself upon my attention with that peculiar sniffling and whining which arise from the very profounds of his nature these sounds cannot be interpreted as the expression of any particular emotion though i at once recognize them as an attempt to tell me of the approach of a strange dog i peer sharply about me 
no mistake there he comes and it is clear even from afar as proclaimed by his cautious and hesitant advance that he has become conscious of the other my own anxiety is scarcely less than that of the other two i have premonitions that this meeting is going to be precarious and highly undesirable go away i say to bashan what do you mean by clinging to my leg can't you two carry on negotiations amongst yourselves and at a distance i try to push him away with my stick or if it should come to a battle of bites which uh, whether there be a reason for it or not is extremely probable it is sure to take place around my feet and i shall become the centre of a most unedifying tussle go away i repeat hoarsely but bashan does not go away he continues to cling to me tightly and helplessly only for a moment does he deign to move aside to sniff at a tree an operation which the stranger as i observe out of the corner of my eye is also performing yonder the distance between the two is now only twenty paces the tension is fearful the stranger has now assumed a crouching position like a tiger-cat with head thrust forward and in this highwayman-like pose he awaits bashan's approach apparently in order to seize him by the throat at the proper moment this however does not take place nor does bashan appear to expect it at all events he continues to advance straight towards the lowering one though with palpitant hesitancy and an alert though tragic mien he would do so would in fact be forced to do so even though i were to leave him and pursue my path abandoning him to all the perils of the situation no matter how upsetting the rencontre may be no thought can be given to evasion or escape he goes as one that is under a spell a ban both are bound to each other by some secret and tenebrous tie and neither dares belie this we have now approached within two paces and then the other dog gets up quietly just as though he had never assumed the looks or attitude of a lion couchant and stands there precisely as bashan stands both with hangdog look miserable and deeply embarrassed and both incapable of yielding an inch or of passing each other they would like to be free of all this they turn away their heads squint sadly aside thus they shove and slink towards each other side by side tense and full of a troubled watchfulness flank to flank and begin to snuffle at each other's sides it is during this procedure that the growlings begin sotto voce i call bashan by name and warn him for this is the fateful moment which is to decide whether a tussle and biting match is to take place or whether i am to be spared this calamity but the battle of bites of tooth and claw is upon us in a flash no one could say how or why in a moment both of them are merely a tangle a raving chaotic tumult out of which arise horrible guttural cries as of dragons of the prime tearing each other in order to avert a tragedy i am forced to interpose my stick to seize bashan by his collar or by the scruff of his neck and to hoist him into the air with one arm with his antagonist hanging to him with locked jaws 
or face whatever other terrors may be awaiting me, terrors which I am then fated to feel in every nerve during the greater part of the walk. But it also happens that the entire affair may pass off quite uneventfully, and, as it were, ebb away. Nevertheless, in both contingencies, it is difficult to get away from the spot. For even if these twain do not happen to clamp themselves together by the teeth, they remain fettered by a tenacious inner bond. In this case, things proceed as follows. You imagine that the two dogs have already passed each other, for they are no longer hesitating flank to flank, but are aligned almost in keel formation, the one with his head turned in one direction, the other with his in the opposite direction. They do not see each other, they scarcely turn their heads, merely squinting towards the rear, straining the eyeball back as far as possible. Even though they are already separated by some short distance, the tenacious sinister tie still holds, and neither of them is sure whether the moment of liberation has arrived. Both would like to move off, but some inscrutable conscientious anxiety prevents them from leaving the spot until at last at last the ban is broken and bashan redeemed and with the air of having just been granted a new lease of life goes bounding off i mention these things in order to indicate how strange and alien so close a friend may appear under certain circumstances times when his entire nature reveals itself as something eerie and obscure I brood upon this mystery and find no answer save a shake of the head. It is only by intuition and not by reason that I am able to identify myself with it. Otherwise I am well acquainted with Bashan's inner world, and I am able to meet its every manifestation with sympathy and with cheerfulness, to understand his play of features and his whole behavior. How well, for example, a solitary example, do I know that chirruping yawn to which he has recourse whenever he has been disappointed in the results of a walk? It may be that the walk was all too short, or else barren of events in a sporting sense, as sometimes happens when I have begun my day's work a little later than usual, and have gone into the open air with Bashan for a brief quarter of an hour before sitting down at my desk. He walks beside me then and yawns. It is a shameless, impolite, wide-angle yawning, the yawning of the beast, of the brute, and it is accompanied by a whistling guttural note and by a hurt and bored look. It says, as clearly as words, A nice sort of master I've got. I went and fetched him from the bridge last night, and now he goes and sits behind that there glass door, and I've got to wait till he goes out, and me a-perishing with impatience. And then, at last, when he does go out, he turns round again and starts back home before I've had a sniff at a single bit of game. A fine sort of master, eh? And what a mean trick to play on a hound. Why ain't fit to be called a master at all? Such are the sentiments expressed with rude clarity by these yawns of his, and there is no mistaking them. I am also aware that he is perfectly right in cherishing such sentiments, and that in his eyes I am guilty. And so my hand steals toward his shoulder for a pat or two, or I proceed to stroke the top of his skull. 
but he has no use for caresses under such circumstances. He refuses to acknowledge or accept them. He gives another yawn, and this still more rudely than before, if that be possible, and withdraws himself from my conciliatory hand. He withdraws himself, even though he is extremely fond of such caresses, in accordance with his earthy, all-too-earthy sentimentality, and in contradistinction to the impervious Percy. He particularly appreciates being scratched upon the throat, and he has acquired a droll but adroit energy in guiding one's hand to the proper place by means of short movements of the head. That he ignores all tendernesses at present is due not only to his disillusion and disappointment, but also to the fact that he has no interest in such fondlings when in a state of movement, that is, a state of movement coordinated with mind. He is then obsessed by a masculine mood and spirit, and scorns all feminine touches. But an immediate change takes place as soon as I sit down. Then his heart expands, and he becomes receptive to all friendly advances, and his manner of responding to them is full of rapturous and awkward insistence. Often, when I chance to be seated on my chair in the angle of the garden wall, or in the grass with my back against some favorite tree reading a book, I am happy to interrupt my literary occupation in order to speak and play with Bashan. I repeat, to speak with him. And what do I find to say? Well, the conversation is usually limited to repeating his name to him, his name, those two syllables which concern him more than all others, since they designate nothing but himself, and thus have an electrifying effect upon his entire being. I thus stir and fire his consciousness of his ego by abjuring him in different tones and in different degrees of emphasis to consider the fact that he is called Bashan and that he is Bashan. By keeping this up for a short time, I am able to throw him into a state of veritable ecstasy, a kind of drunkenness of identity, so that he begins to rotate upon his own axis and to send loud barks towards heaven all out of sheer inner triumph and the proud compulsion of his heart. Or we amuse each other in that I flick him upon the nose while he snaps at my hand as at a fly. This forces both of us to laugh. Yes, even passion must laugh. This laugh of his, to which I must instinctively respond, is for me the most wonderful and touching thing in the world. It is unutterably moving to see how his haggard canine cheek and the corners of his mouth quiver and jerk to the excitement of the teasing, how the dusty mien of the dumb creature takes on the physiomic expression of human laughter, or how a troubled, helpless, and melancholy reflection of this appears and vanishes again to give way to the stigmata of fear and embarrassment, and then how it once more makes its wry appearance. But it is best to pause here, and not to involve myself deeper in detail. I must not allow my descriptions to exceed the limits which I have set. I merely wish to show my hero in all his glory, and in his natural elements, and in that position in life in which he is most himself, and which casts the most favorable light upon his various gifts and accomplishments, that is to say, the hunt or chase. 
i must however as a preliminary make the reader more closely acquainted with the scene of these joys our hunting grounds my landscape along the river for there is a strange affinity between this and the person of passion this strip of land is as dear to me as it is to him it is intimate and full of meaning like himself therefore without further ado or novelistic preciosity let the following suffice in the way of description End of chapter three part two